0: Kevin this week was um, confessing to me, and I wanted to share that with you. Um, <laughs> what? You know, I got it. <laughs> oh, not this. Anyhow, because um, <laughs> you're still employed. Anyhow, I um, yeah, I can't help it. I have this thing with language, and it's it's just like a. Um, Gary, is Gary still here? Don't take it. This isn't personal to Gary at all, but I, I, it's weird. Like when people say something, then I want to just keep saying, like when he said, uh, uh, oh, just stand up and, and greet somebody who you, you, know, you don't know. If you know them, ignore them. Or like, um, <laughs> if, like if, if you're a guest here, please, no obligation to give. If you come often, I just, I don't know. And if you're visiting, oh, we're so happy to see you. If you're regular, we could care less. Um, and there, I say that because I was thinking, like I was thinking, I, it, you, you can never say everything exactly and perfectly. That's just, that's just life. It never, and, and I, because I was thinking, because, you know, I preached this message the first service, and this is a do-over. Um, I don't know, it was maybe, I think it was a couple months ago, uh, there is not even a mile, I don't think, from my house, there is one of Denver's three largest churches, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And I, several years back, quite a few years back, I would do this kinds of thing, you know, I would kind of guest speak and... Um, and Kevin, that's great. You know, I, I, you know, that feeling that I'm here once a year. I'm not here, but it feels that way. And, um, but, I really enjoy it. Like I've really enjoyed. I really have enjoyed that. So anyhow, my friend invited me, to this church that's so many thousands, um, to speak to their, st- at their staff chapel, um, which is about the size. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable the number of staff they have, and. Um, And I, you know, I had this message that I felt like the Lord wanted me to share, um, which coincidentally is the same passage I want to share with you, but while I was giving it, and I don't know if you've ever been a speaker, um, and I'm not, this isn't, I'm not asking for something, I'm just telling you, I know. I know when it's not connecting. I know when I see just blank stares and crickets, and, and, and afterwards nobody wants to make eye contact, I know that. And I, and I was so hoping it would go well, because the truth is I was probably auditioning to be a guest speaker, and I kind of knew that. Um, afterwards, as I am slinking back to my car, a woman um, stops me, and she says, can I speak to you privately? And said sure and um, I was kind of expecting her to go that was awful and um, get rebuked but she said I don't know why but I I want to I need to talk to you There was something you said that prompted this thought and she shared something she says I haven't told anybody this she said it was it was heavy it was it was deep no question and painful for her and and so that sense that God had me come and speak, it seemed like just to that one woman. It's supposed to be comforting. But that's not what I felt. I was so embarrassed that I, I kept thinking. My, the thought I kept having was, dang. Like I still think, like I was still thinking about that when I'm up there, I was up there and that feeling I know that I'm not connecting and I don't know, and it just feels terrible. And, it was, and then I'm feeling guilty because I'm supposed to be comforted by the fact that I really believe that maybe it was just for that one woman, but how driven I am for people to like me. It's unbelievable. And I say that confessionally, I know it doesn't sound that way, it sounds like I'm begging you to like me and, and please make eye contact when you leave. I know that, but it is confessional. And even being here, I I know how much I want you to like me. Um, So having said that, I will read the passage, and you will try to fake it. Um, So the passage we're gonna look at today is this story that is, I would guess is probably familiar. and there is, in the Bible, uh, there is importance in, in sort of a theological accuracy, I think, and study and understanding, and that's, that is true for this passage, but we're going to do less of that today. This is, I'm not going to give you the technicalities and all the depth and riches of this story. I want us more to observe something. We're, we're, we're observing, we're looking, and we're looking for a particular trait, it's gonna be hard sometimes to see it, but I'll, I'll see if I can help you find it. The, the trait is courage. If I were to ask you, you know, what, who do you think of when you think of courage? You, you would think of heroic kinds of people. People, most likely I would guess, who have put their, their lives on the line, who have suppressed the need for self-preservation for the benefit of somebody else. Um, who, who do we know that might have done that just the most? Hmm, Let me think, who could that be? Who has given their life the most for everybody we know? Who do you think of? Come on, you're not even brave enough to say Jesus? Holy cow, I'm throwing you a softball, people. Um, True. So there's all these heroes. Certainly Jesus models courage like no one else. But we could be here all day and you would not guess that this is the story I've picked to show that Jesus is modeling courage. Now, a man named Lazarus, this is John 11, but honestly, sometimes it's it, in a story, in something like this, it might be easier for you just to listen, to be part of the story, to be the observer, and then you won't be distracted by some of the things that, you know, that I'm not gonna talk about. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Here is one of the really strange sentences in the Bible. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, now you know the story maybe, but if you didn't know the story, what what? would naturally come next. Jesus, who loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, and and, and, and dying is the implication. When he heard that Lazarus was dying, he immediately left, immediately. But the story says he immediately did nothing. He stayed where he was two more days now let's maybe this, there's some accuracy that's, that's needed here Jesus does not have a full schedule I'm not trying to be offensive but it's not like Jesus had something so important he had to do that afternoon or the next day that he could not leave Jesus is in charge of time he can do what he wants he could leave if he wanted and he did not want to Imagine somebody you love, you really love, and let's not make it this um, dramatic. Somebody you love just asks you to do something for them, a favor. And imagine if you said no. I had a therapist. Who shared with me, she said, Carl, the pain you continually feel is not the experiences you had. It's the story you tell yourself about what happened. The pain you continually feel is not limited to the experience you had, but the real pain is the story you tell yourself about what happened. I was raised. I think you, I've been here before, and you, I've probably shared this. You know, I was raised in sort of an abusive home and alcoholic home, and, and so I'd come home from, you know, I'd come home from school, and my mom might be drunk, and she would embarrass me. Or my mom was really a, a lovely, pleasant person if she when she wasn't drinking, and so I'd, you know, I'd go out to play, and then I'd come in in the afternoons. Often when she was fixing dinner, my, is when my mom would do a lot of drinking, and. And then at dinner time, it was like she was a completely different person, and she could be so mean, and it just, it just wounded, and it just hurt me so deeply. And I remember saying, Mom, please, please, will you quit drinking? For so much of my life, I told myself this story. My mom loved alcohol more than she loved me. And I'm not really lovable. What happened was true and it was painful. It isn't true that my mom didn't love me and it really isn't true that she loved alcohol more than me. And it isn't true that I'm not lovable. But that's the story that I have been infected with. I, I forgot the story I was going to tell next to illustrate that. Oh, I know. Oh, no, I know now. Um, this is what they teach in, in speaking classes it's just to randomly talk out loud thoughts you're having. <laughs> If you're not a professional, I highly suggest this, and you will get gigs like here in Missouri, Springfield. <laughs> this could be your. I'm sorry. All right. Anyhow, um, this this will. Okay. So I was I was <laughs> I was doing some speaking things back several quite a few years ago, and I was traveling, and my wife. This was pre-cell phone days, and my wife was coming to pick me up. And, you know, it's been a long weekend, and I was excited to see her. And I got my luggage and I went out to the, you know, the arrivals, and she's not there. And she's not there. And I wait, and I wait. And as I'm waiting, I begin to hear this story. Underneath the text, it's always, you're not really lovable. If you were really loved, if she really cared about you, she would be so excited to see you that she would have gotten here early. If she wanted to, to show you how much she needed you and missed you, she would be here early, but now she's 20 minutes, half hour late. It's clear. Once again, it's confirmed I'm not lovable. You know, she pulls up. Now this story has been churning in my head. So I get in the car, I sit down, and I, I'm, 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 I, you know, I'm, I'm sure I don't remember exactly, but I'm positive, knowing me, that I started with the silent treatment, because as a mature adult, I know it's her job, to guess why I'm angry. <laughs> because it's so obvious. Because she's late. Like this is. And so she needs to guess, because if she really loved me, she would know. And then she could make it better, but probably not. And, and then I, I, I do remember, I just exploded this venom of, of anger. Because the story was, I'm not lovable. Was she late? Yes, she was late. The pain wasn't that she was late. The pain was that I told myself a story that wasn't true. You're Mary or Martha. No, I'm not being rhetorical. You are Mary and Martha. Because you see, you and I have been in these moments where we, we ask Jesus to show up. It's not unreasonable what we're asking. It feels life and death. We're desperate And many times, the response Jesus has is wait. And the story we tell ourselves in between the waiting and his coming will make all the difference. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus. Jesus, the one you love, is dying. What story do you think they told themselves for those two days? Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you really had loved him, if you loved us, he wouldn't have died. Remembering that 2,000 years ago, the way people died is not necessarily how they die today. Many of us in a, in a developed world, we have morphine and we have drugs that can ease our transition. It is possible today to die without pain. It was not possible 2,000 years ago. They watched him die. If you had been here, he would not have died. Now here's what is fascinating. Here's our observation. This is... This is going to seem strange, the zigzaggy course I'm taking. Jesus, I believe, knew that they would be telling themselves a story that wasn't true, that would reflect on his character. And Jesus had the courage to not try to manage what they were thinking about him. Jesus knew the truth. Jesus knew that he loved Lazarus. Let's put aside for a moment why he may not show up. Just for our purposes, let's say that that's really not our business. He's Jesus. So this is what he says to Mary, I mean to Martha. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life the one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing me will never die. Martha, he asked, do you believe this? Or or are you going to cling to the lie that you tell yourself that you so believe to be true? I, I, I wish I'd earlier, I'd made a, I wish I'd been a little clearer in that I'm not saying that we should just randomly say no to people. I'm not saying that it's, it's you know, it's no big deal. Oh, sucks that you chopped your leg off. Um, or whatever, you know. I, I, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there are times, I know there are times, when I have said yes, when I really wanted to say no, and I should have said no but the reason I said yes was because I was so worried about the story they would tell about my no. And because I have a story that says I'm not lovable, I have to do everything I can to get you to love me. Is that a true story? That's as toxic as it comes. When I believe it's my responsibility to manage what goes on in your head so that you will love me, I can actually never really feel loved? Or am I willing to believe that Jesus is the source of my life? And that's where life comes from. Martha, Carl, do you believe this? The story continues. Jesus then um, leaves Martha and he runs into Mary, Martha's sister. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, guess what? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary and Martha began to tell each other the untrue story. Imagine not only are they, you know, by yourself telling yourself this story, now you've got a sister and you guys are talking about why Jesus didn't come. Now the pain must have been really deep. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord. And in the shortest verse in the English Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. I don't know if you've heard any sermons on, on this passage, and they're, I, they're all, I'm sure, good, and they're all possibly true. I've heard lots of ideas of why Jesus wept. As a matter of fact, I'll be honest with you, I'd never heard a sermon on this that did not explain why Jesus wept. Was it because, as I explained earlier, what death looked like 2,000 years ago and Jesus knowing that he was now going to subject Lazarus to that once again? Was it as he was, was he, you know, an empathic feeler? sort of soaking in the pain of Martha and Mary and the friends of Lazarus, seeing their deep, deep grief, and it moved him? Was it their unbelief? All of those I've heard. That's the reasons why Jesus wept. Here's what's fascinating to me. Jesus doesn't explain himself. Jesus doesn't tell you why he wept. Jesus is not hiding nor defending what he's feeling. My granddaughter um, was born seven years ago, and um, we—she was adopted. She's adopted, and we were and still are in relationship with her birth mom. And so, when Katie was getting. You know near we were all kind of pins and needles, and I got a call from my my daughter Katie's gone into labor. I Immediately I jumped on a plane flew to Jackson, Wyoming Um, and then the where Katie was delivering is about three hours outside of Jackson. I they kids had left me a car I got in the car, and I drove man. I drove as fast as I could I got there, and I was about 10 minutes, you know, too late, but it was fine. I was 10 minutes after Fr- Frankie, my granddaughter, Francesca, was born. And I walked into the delivery room, and they set up a special room for adoption births. And so there was Katie over here um, with a bunch of her friends, and they were, they were partying because she'd been really good, had not had anything to drink through the entire pregnancy, and they were making up for it. And then, <laughs> and then there was my... And then there's my daughter... And then there's my daughter and my son in law and, and, and Carlos Holding, little Frankie, and the the beaming glow and smile on their face and they, they give me Frankie and I just begin to weep uncontrollably. Now there I you know, there's there's some backstory there. You know, my my daughter at this point had been married, I think, eleven years, and she and my son in law so unbelievably self-centered and selfish because they waited 11 years to give me a grandchild Like, who were they to deny me i birthed her well i mean i was there i watched my wife suffer is that not enough but anyhow um and and I, I told them when they got married, listen, I'm not going to be one of these people that, you know, parents is always pressuring you to have a baby. Please get pregnant on the honeymoon. But other than that, and I, but I, here's what I did tell them. I did tell them this. I said, listen, I'm going to put away some money for this child and for you whenever you have this child. But every year I don't get a child, I'm taking some of that money out. <laughs> really, the story underneath was I, I i got married really young, and I'm not making excuses. I wasn't a great dad. I'm, I'm being honest with you. I wasn't a great dad. I was good enough, but I wasn't, I was so disappointed looking back as my children became adults. I was so disappointed in the moments I had missed and the way in which I would raised them. I would do it so differently today, and I wanted... And I believed that in my grandchild, I would get a do-over. Because while I wasn't a great dad, I'm an unbelievable granddad. (laughs) Like, I am knocking it out of the park. I'm just telling you right now. Now, to be honest, the bar to be a good grandparent is pretty low. You know, it just includes a little bit of cash and just saying yes. That's, (laughs) I mean, that's, like, what else is there? You just, I don't. Like, I'm not going to make her a serial murderer. I don't care. Like, I'll just say yes. It's not on me. Um, So all that to say, I don't know what was happening that day. But here's what happened. They give me Frankie. I am weeping. I really am kind of out of control. And I cannot stop. And I keep trying to stop. And so I give them the baby and I go back outside to compose myself and I blow my nose and wipe my eyes and deep breath and I walk back in. They give me the baby and I, I, I again, I am, I am uncontrollably crying in such a way I can't really talk. And there is no one else crying. Nobody. They're all, they're all experiencing this in a different way, they're expressing it with laughing and joy and I give them back, and I go back outside. Why? Why do I keep walking out? I don't know why. I can't explain it. I'm embarrassed. I want to be, I want to be composed. I want to be in control. I will say this. there is no such thing as bad tears i remember at that same dinner table i was describing to you and my mother would be drunk and she would say something and she would just say it and it would strike me in a way and i was a sensitive 12 year old and i would start crying i remember that and i couldn't and my, they would what are you crying about and honestly i didn't know i didn't have the language to say you've changed, Mom, and I don't feel safe. I didn't have that language, and so I would just cry. And then then they would keep asking me, why are you crying? I remember my stepdad saying, the the classic stepdad line, do you want me to give you something to cry about? Yeah, such a helpful question. You know, as you pause and think, and go, yeah, that might be helpful, I guess, I don't know. (laughs) Then I won't sit here wondering why I'm crying, and at least I'll have a reason. (laughs) We have this story that says we have to have legitimate tears. There are no (laughs) illegitimate tears. Here's the fascinating thing. Jesus had the courage to not manage the story people would tell about him. He did not feel obligated to explain his tears. It's really weird, isn't it, that Jesus who loves us more than any human could ever love us, does not try to manage how we feel about him. He's secure enough to know that he loves us. What you do with that information, what you do with that love, that's up to you. Because he knows he loves you. That's courage. I want us to think, Just let's just think for a moment. What would life be like? What would, be, what would life be like? If I told myself a more true story, what would my life be like I didn't spend so much energy trying to get people to like me, if I didn't always say yes or do what they wanted, not because I felt it was the proper thing, but because I was so worried about what they would think of me. What would my life be like if I didn't defend what I thought or what I felt? Lord, we ask today for courage.